here. It's good to have you. Um, a couple of announcements before we get started. Uh, as much as we have been enjoying the, the fellowship and, and the coffee time and the donuts, uh, this weekend was our last time doing that. So next weekend we're going back to, to regular Sunday school, and so there will be uh, stuff for the kids, and I believe the adult classes are going to be starting as well too. And uh, also the following week, um, uh, September 11, uh, Joanne and I are going to be hosting a young adult Sunday school class. And uh, we'll be meeting here in the hallway and focusing in on, on studying scripture and building community. Uh, pretty excited about that. Um, also, our Wednesday night live program is starting up pretty soon. And there's always lots of opportunities to, to volunteer and to help out with uh, the Wednesday night program or with Sunday school. So if you're interested in that. Uh, talk to Joanne on that. Um, cooks, of course, we're always looking for cooks, and there's a, a sign-up sheet in the hallway. And um, September 18 is our annual business meeting. We're going to tweak it just a little bit. We'll have the church service in here, and then afterwards we're doing a potluck. So I would invite you to, you know, show off your favorite dish, bring it along. Uh, we'll do a potluck, we'll do a meal together, and then right after that we'll, we'll roll into the meeting. And uh, we're hoping to have it all wrapped up by 1.30. So um, if we eat fast and vote fast, then, then we can be out of there. It, it'll be good. Uh, we're also going to incorporate some, some neat stories as well, too. And uh, next week, we're, so, so today we're, we're wrapping up our, our series on, on finances and stewardship. And uh, for the next couple weeks, starting next week, we're actually going to uh, be looking at the, uh, the vision statement, doing a vision series. Myself and the board for the last couple of years have been uh, really trying to figure out what's kind of the course and, and the direction that God is calling us to as a church. And step one of that is to be able to articula articulate some kind of vision statement. And so we're going to be looking at that for the next couple of weeks. And I'm really excited for that. That's going to be some, some really good stuff. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a beautiful day, a glorious morning, the opportunity to praise you, to serve you. Holy Spirit, we give you complete reign and freedom here to do as you please, to lead, to speak, to guide, to correct, to inform, to encourage. God, we, we offer ourselves to you. Lord, at this time, um, we want to enter into your courts with thanksgiving and praise. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. Feel free to um, raise your hands, to kneel, to worship as the Lord you this morning and feel free to sit down at any time but you're welcome here you're welcome to worship keep your eyes on jesus author and perfecter of our faith Underneath my feet, you 
you've brought us out of the darkness into the light. We were bound, but now we are free. We are lost, but now we are found. Thank you, God. We welcome you here. We need you desperately. Last week we did a prayer time for those that are involved in the school district and teaching and serving and, and helping there. And uh, we want to do a similar thing for some of our own Sunday school teachers. So um, if you teach a Sunday school class of any kind, if you teach anything on Wednesday night, would you please stand? I know, it's a little sad. Thank you. The rest of you just kind of look around. I'll just pray out loud over this group, and I would ask that you just silently engage in prayer for who's ever closest to you. All right? So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this remarkable group um, who love you, who serve you, uh, who volunteer here at the church. And God, they have such a remarkable uh, task and responsibility in teaching others, whether it be children or adults, uh, Scripture and your word and your truth. And Lord, Scripture says not many of us should presume to be teachers, dear brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more harshly or more strictly. And God, that just goes to show the weight of the responsibility that these people carry. And so, God, we pray for them. We pray that they would um, steward this responsibility well. We pray for a love, a deep, deep love for those that they teach. God, we pray for an unusual level of stamina, um, of joy, of exuberance as they engage in Scripture and then share that with those who, who are under their care. God, we pray for them. We pray for their marriages. We pray for their families and for their kids, that you would watch over them and that you would keep them strong. And God, I pray that you would show the rest of us how to support them, how to cheer them on, how to rally around them, uh, how to encourage them, um, and to just to be there to, to support them. Thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunities that you give us, not only on Sunday morning, but also on Wednesday night. God, that is a remarkable uh, thing that, that you let us engage in. So thank you so much. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So let's continue in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the fount of all blessing. And God, we came to you uh, covered in sin, uh, with nothing to offer. Uh, God, you offered us salvation, freedom, and grace, washed away our sin, gave us new clothes, clothes of righteousness, gave us freedom, and um, just a remarkable blessing. Father, we pray for we pray for the missionaries that we love and support and learn from. Thank you for Jennifer as she prepares for another year, her interaction with those freshmen. I pray that they would be hungry. They would be hungry for you, Lord. For the Millers as they prepare to come back to North America. Ask your blessing upon their family and their travel. For the Quirians, for for their marriage, for all the marriages of those involved in Greenhouse. 
God, we know that the enemy loves to destroy marriages, and so we pray for theirs and for, for those that are part of that, that community, that you would protect them. And for the Rogas, for Paul and Sarah serving in Paris, thank you that uh, you provided a rental for their house, God. That is a blessing. Lord, as we continue to study, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to, to steward our, your resources well? God, I pray that you, would, that you would teach us, Lord, and that we would live out lives that are so counterintuitive and so not uh, how the world does it, God, but it is absolutely in line with how you do. worship team well today we're wrapping up our series on finances and stewardship and uh, you know to be honest I dreaded this for a long time I've been putting this one off uh, for years I was not really looking forward to doing this and then just kind of finally reached a point where I was like okay like we really need to to cover this and and we're doing this this bigger series on discipleship and so now's as good a time as any and, uh, but I got it. I've been loving it. Like I have coming into this, I wasn't looking forward to it, but uh, I feel like I have learned so much and have clarity now more on some of these concepts. And uh, now it's kind of a second degree of of tension on okay, how do I apply this and, and that kind of thing. So I've been I've been having a great time. I'm excited for what we're covering today. Uh, thanks for tagging along on the ride. I hope you got something out of it, and uh, it it's been great. Um, a couple books uh, that I had recommended earlier um, as well, too. Genius of Generosity is a really good one. You can get this one from the conference. Uh, Wealth, Riches, and Money. Thicker read, but really good stuff. 
Um, Chip Ingram wrote this book, Genius of Generosity, and in his opening story, it's a fascinating story, he was uh, some young pastor, and I think it was Dallas, and I, I don't know how long ago this was, it, he, he didn't give a date, but he kind of get the feel that it was maybe 30, 40 years ago, but, but there was another guy in the congregation by the name of John, and he was in charge of the board and that kind of thing, but John uh, grew up in a non-believing environment, kind of had a rough life, but owned an accounting firm, and apparently was doing pretty well financially. And so one day, John um, invites, you know, Chip, this, this young pastor, out to lunch in downtown Dallas. And they go to this really, like, nice, swanky restaurant with, like, no, like, prices on the menu and that kind of thing. And John's telling him to buy the steak and all this other kind of thing. And, uh, and, and, and John has kind of like a quasi-business deal proposal for the pastor. He goes, I have a desire to help people in need. But you know, like, you have better interaction with all the people in need. So here's what we're going to do. And he, he produces a checkbook. There was five grand, you know, a deposit of five grand. He goes, you're to take this checkbook, and as you encounter in people in need, you write him checks, and then you report back to me every so often on how things are going. And 5000 is a bit of coin, and I imagine 30, 40 years ago that was like even more I mean it's impressive now I imagine it was really impressive back then so he gets this this checkbook that belongs to this other man and he's just supposed to like give away money to people in need as as he encounters them and as he goes through the story it is very fascinating on what happened he said there were three distinct things that happened as he stewarded another man's resource he says, first of all, I found myself thinking of John every day. And whenever I came across a situation, I was always asking, what would John do in this situation? What, is John, what would John think of this? How, because this isn't my resources, it's his resources. I'm stewarding it for him. How would he view this? How would he approach this? How would he handle this? So every day, he found himself thinking of John and looking at the situation through the eyes of John. The second thing that happened, he said, is that he learned how to balance a checkbook. I mean, nowadays you just check your phone, but like, I guess back in the day it was pen and paper, you know? And before then, you know, he was kind of vagueish, you know, like we're within $20, $30, whatever. But, I mean, he kept detail records on, on that checkbook because it, it wasn't his. So he got much more, his responsibility in handling those finances increased notably. The third thing that happened is that he and John became great friends. About four times a year, he'd drive into, you know, downtown Dallas. They'd go to this really nice restaurant that overlooked. And, you know, John would extravagantly put more money in the funds and he would give, you know, and tell extravagant stories of you know, single moms and people who needed help along the way. And he would share these stories with John. And John would yell out a very awkward praise of the Lord really loud in the middle of this swanky restaurant. And, and they just developed this, this neat camaraderie and, th and this neat friendship as a result of that. And that whole story really sums up my heart for you guys within this entire stewardship series. For you guys to, to not only understand what you've been entrusted with as belonging to someone else, but secondly, but, but in addition to that, 
for you guys, as you go through all of life, every day to be thinking, all right, how would the Lord handle this? What's the Lord's heart in this? What would God do in this situation? How would Jesus respond to this? So, so, so there would be this continual, okay, just kind of seeing things through God's eyes. Secondly, that, that, you, would, that you would take good care in stewarding and, and tracking what you've been entrusting with. And third, that you and God would just become great friends. That, that he would tell you what he is up to and that you would be able to, to honor him with these neat stories of how you have stewarded his resources and that there would just be the, this neat uh, friendship that grows between the two of you. Two weeks ago, to start this off, we looked at Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is uh, kind of that, that famous line where Jesus says, uh, you know, you cannot serve both uh, money and God. You will serve one or the other. And so we looked at that in, in Matthew 6. And we noticed how he says, you cannot serve. It's not you should not or, you know, gosh, it's going to be really difficult. He says, actually, no, you cannot. You will serve one. And then by default, you will not serve the other. And Jesus does this weird thing in the Hebrew where he personifies money. He refers to it as mammon and, and, and kind of what is all going on that. But really the key idea out of that was that, that God is my source, that money is not my source, that God is my source. And then when it comes to money, I will have one of two relationships. I will either be the slave or I will be the master. And when money becomes my slave, then it is pressed into service for the kingdom of God. It is accountable to me, and I direct its activity. I know where it is at all times. But if money is my source, then really I become the slave to money, or, or to the love of money, or to mammon, doing whatever I perceive necessary to get more. Ten symptoms that, that, that our heart is misdirected. Worry and anxiety over money. Money mismanagement consistent financial lack, a I-can't-afford-it mentality, impulse buying, uh, stinginess, greed, discontentment, bondage to debt, exaggerated emphasis on money, overestimating of its true power. If any of those are clicking or resonating with you, you need to do some heart work. You need to talk to some people because that could be an indicator that, that too much you are getting source and identity from money and not from the Lord. What does it mean to have God as our source? And actually in that, um, in that phrase, or in, in Matthew 6, the very following section really talks about sort of the solution to this. He says, therefore, and then several times he talks about not being anxious in life and how God provides and how God watches out for the sparrow and what does it mean to have sparrow faith or this understanding that God desires to, to meet our needs. So that was two weeks ago. Last week we talked about the tithe. And some of the tension that, that kind of exists in the, in the tithe. The Old Testament talks about the tithe a lot. And it gives us some very interesting thing on the tithe. The very first appearance. And tithe means tenth. That's why that's what we get 10%. is because the word means a tenth. Um, uh, but the first appearance is in Leviticus. And it talks about the tithe is the Lord's. It was never yours to begin with. And one tenth belongs to God from, from the beginning. And so if we... If we live off of that, if we use that, we live off of stolen goods. Um, we looked at tithing on the tithe, how, how the Levites, or kind of the pastoral clan, would, um, of the tithe would come into them, and then they would take a tithe of, the, of what was given to them, a tenth of a tenth, and give it to the leadership that they were under. We talked about how sometimes it was used to throw really great parties. Um, and sometimes they'd sell it all and they'd go someplace else, and they'd just have a really great party. Uh, it was used for, for people costs. And, of course, one of the strongest passages in Malachi 
God is rebuking Israel all throughout the book of Malachi. But, but one of the rebukes is around money. And he says, you are robbing me by not bringing in the tithe. And so therefore, you should test me. Only place I know of where God says test me. Test me. Bring in the tithe and see if I don't provide for all of your needs. Uh, and then he has this interesting phrase, I will rebuke the devourer in your life. I mean, we just, we have these things that consume time and money and energy and sweat. And, and God says he will rebuke that. Kind of interesting. But then the tension comes because then we have the New Testament that doesn't mention tithe at all. I mean, New Testament just kind of has its own completely different conversation about money. It talks about giving. It talks about having a good heart attitude. It doesn't affirm tithe. It doesn't deny tithe. It just, it doesn't talk about it at all. And so it kind of seems to be at odds, these two things. How do we do this? But right in the middle, we have these beautiful words of Jesus that fit it all together. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Luke 11, it reads like this. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And in that, we see that, that Jesus is saying, look, the big issues here are mercy and justice and faithfulness and love of God. And that is what I'm really interested in. And then he just kind of tosses out this phrase without neglecting the former, which seems to suggest that the tithe that he was talking about, that you don't neglect the tithe, but people you've got to keep big picture on this that it's about mercy and justice and faithfulness and love of God and so we we have kind of this, this brief little comment of Jesus that so beautifully ties together the, the New Testament and the Old Testament this week we're going to look at a few more good uses of money, um, these are pulled out of 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 to 15 we won't go through it in any, in any particular order, but just so that you know that, that this is where these concepts are coming from, I'm going to read this to you. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Um, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountiful will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, for he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And a lot of it's actually coming out of that verse right there. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thankfulness to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saint, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. But their approval of this service, by, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ, the generosity of your contribution to them and to all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Uh, four more concepts um, out of that. Um, scripture mentions bread for eating. So first 
kind of concept on, on good stewardship to tithe. Secondly, bread for eating. God has entrusted you with resources to feed your family, clothe your family, uh, to educate your family, to disciple your family. Uh, and, and this is actually a really big thing. Um, scripture, uh, 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially his immediate family, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So scripture has this heavy emphasis that you have a responsibility to, to provide for and care for the, the needs of your family. Um, but, but the idea for this, though, that is really at the heart of this, is to determine for you and your family how much is enough. Like, like, like what is that? And, and in this book, the, the Wealth, Money, and Riches, has a, um, a very good concept that I find very uncomfortable. But the concept is to close the circle. And, and, and the, uh, the idea works like this. For you to live and work and eat and disciple your kids and clothe your kids and your family and all that kind of stuff requires a set amount of income, right? And pretty much everything can fit under obligations, necessities, and wants. Those are kind of our three big categories. And so to figure out how much you need to live, figure out what do you need for obligations, for necessities, for wants within a calendar, those expenses then create a circle. And then that circle will either be open or closed, depending on how you do it. An open circle means that as more or additional resources come your way, then they go into the circle, and the circle expands as you have more resources. So as more resources come, you put forth more money towards needs, obligations, and wants. Although, I mean, let's be serious, people. We start with the wants, right? But an open circle is ever-expanding. As more finances come into the circle, it expands, so you get a raise, a tax refund, whatever. The money goes to, to personal consumption. And in an open circle, though, we never know how much is enough. As money comes in, it gets directed to those three things. A closed circle is fixed. In a closed circle, obligations, necessities, wants are predetermined, and as increase comes your way, it literally bounces off because it's, it's closed, and it gets directed, or that overflow then gets directed to other specific kind of kingdom purposes. And so because personal consumption costs have been tabulated and set, when more money comes your way, it's prayed over, it's discerned uh, as to what God wants done with that as compared to simply just getting more stuff. Um, this kind of working requires a budget, Maybe you can do it without a budget. I, I think it would be really tough, um, but it does. Um, and this is, I, this whole, con like, I just learned this in the last couple weeks, all right? So just kind of full disclosure, like, I haven't implemented this in my life. But it's kind of those things where it's like, oh, I really think he's on to something. But so I'm just, I'm inviting you into my discomfort on this situation and letting you go home and enjoy your own discomfort on this. Because it is so easy to just keep the circle open and just let it grow and let it grow and let it grow. It's, I, maybe this isn't true for you, but, but for me, you know, the more time I spend, like, flipping through the flyers, you know, and, the like, the more I'm thinking, oh, I need one of those, and I should get one of those. You know, like, if I haven't been in Cabela's in a while, my general attitude is like, I'm pretty good. I don't think I need anything. But, you know, if I've just spent, like, two hours flipping through the magazine, oh, a lot of stuff I need, right? I worked there for two summers, so we already get a discount. One morning, they were doing a tent sale, so everything's already super cheap. 
because they're just like clearing out the storerooms. Well, before, so I'm there for the morning shift. They come over the speaker beforehand, and they say, all right, for staff, anything in that tent sale is a quarter of the lowest marked price out there. I lost my ever-loving mind. Like, first I had to wait for my shift to end, and then it was like, everybody needs a down jacket in my family. You know, down jackets for everyone. You know, like all kinds of stuff. I don't, dad got, dad got a, a pack saddle at like a tenth of the price, which is great, but I don't think it's ever been within like a mile of a horse. Like, I mean, maybe it has, I don't know. But we just, it was just dumb. Like, just went nuts, you know? But you just, that is just the world. We are in such a consumeristic environment. You watch the evening news, Anywhere between a third and a quarter of your time is dedicated to commercials. And all of those are saying, hey, you need our stuff. You need our stuff. You need our stuff. Actually, I was reading that it used to be that commercials are 30 seconds. They're actually shortening them down to 15 seconds because I think people just have a shorter attention span. We, I love Amazon as well, too. They, have, they are brilliant, okay? I don't know if you've seen this. They have these little buttons that you can get. Have you seen these buttons? So, so you buy this little button thing and it kind of has a little adhesive thing you like stick it on the wall they're only like five bucks and um, but each button is associated with a particular item so let's say laundry detergent so you you go online and you get your little button for laundry detergent and all it has is just a button and then it says like tied and then it has a little light and you put that button in the laundry room and then when you're like oh i'm low on tide you press the button, and it connects with your wireless system, orders you some more Tide, you know, sends you a confirmation email, and two days later, Tide has appeared on your doorstep, right? Like, I love Amazon. You know, because before, it was so much work to pull out my smartphone, swipe through my apps, you know, pull it up, hit the buy now button, you know, like my finger was worn out, right? So... Anyways, we just, that is the environment that, that, that we live on. How much is enough? Um, neat story. Uh, uh, Harry Denman was a, um, uh, who's within the Methodist denomination and finance guy and also quite the evangelist. Um, he was a treasurer for a while for one of the larger Methodist churches. And he, he got people kind of mad uh, because at the end of the day, like the checking account was always empty. He thought it was just ridiculous to, to store up funds when people were at need. So whatever came in that day went out that day. Later on, he became an evangelist, and just literally, like every weekend, he was on a different con continent. So he used to keep an apartment because he was always gone. That just kind of seemed like a waste of money. So he got rid of the apartment, and he kept a cot in his office. And, and he, I mean, he had one suit, two shirts, and two ties. And so when he would go on these trips, the only thing that he took with him was a briefcase. In that briefcase were his Bible, his sermon notes, his one extra shirt, and his one extra tie. And that was it. At when, when he passed away, they found uncashed checks in his desk. He just gave them away when they came in. And the only personal belongings that they could find were three pictures of his nieces and nephews. I mean, that's just how the guy lived. Like, why would I keep it? when there are other people in need. Just very radical lifestyle. It is so easy to expand our lifestyle to match our income. And that is why tithing is hard, even when you're, when you're rich, right? 
if you make the guy who makes a million dollars a year probably doesn't at the end of the year be like oh i got this extra hundred thousand i just can't figure out what to do with it like i could just spend right i mean could i do this i could do i don't know i just it won't go away you know no one thinks like that right we just we always expand the circle to our lifestyle so hebrews 13 5 keep your life free from the love of money be content with what you have for he said i will never leave you nor forsake you so that we can confidently say the lord is my helper i will not fear what can man do to me so there you go i, I invite you into my defense of that right now uh so once you set aside a tithe once you establish needs obligation wants of your family once you close the circle then when extra money comes your way you can divert it in different ways uh another option that, that we're pulling out of here is giving so that's the third thing is giving giving is beyond the tithe all right the tithe was never yours to begin with so you can't give off of what was not yours so giving is beyond the tithe um give as the lord directs and, and giving is just fun and, and when you give it you release it right money was created by man for selling trading bartering goods back and forth right we needed some kind of standardized system to do this because eventually I mean, how many chickens do you trade for a cow and a bushel of wheat? Now, you know, so we came up with money to, to make this a little bit easier. Um, giving is a one-way transfer. There's no expectation of, of return. And, it, and it's interesting because money is, is, is often used as an exchange. Giving is the opposite because it's one way. And if you ever want to see money and grace collide, you give it away because grace is given right there's there's not an expectation that you can earn with grace it is given and so giving money is is under that same concept giving introduces money to to grace um tithe uh um closing the circle giving fourth is sowing and reaping now this one is kind of interesting Sowing is using the resources at your disposal, but you, you are using those resources and you are expecting some kind of return. Maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's financial, right? But it, once again, this farming metaphor, but you are using your money and you are expecting a certain kind of return. Uh, many of you know that I'm, I'm privileged to be part of a pastor's network. And so what that is, is that there's a group of pastors who come together three, four times a year, we meet in Phoenix. We, you know, we have to read some books beforehand. We come together. There's lots of emphasis on spiritual formation, personal walk with Jesus, that kind of thing. Once a year, um, the spouses are invited. We go for a retreat. Once again, there's a speaker there who guides us through a lot of personal spirituality, spiritual formation and stuff. And so we're, I forget what we have. Maybe we have eight or ten pastors in our group. There's a, a, at least one other group, maybe a couple other different groups. All of that is financed by two guys. And I've heard that these two guys, between them, drop like low six figures to finance this. One of them is very involved in the process. The other one is silent partner. No one really knows who he is. But for the guy who's involved in this, this is not his tithe. This is not his giving. This is him sowing and reaping. He is using his money to facilitate this experience. And he is expecting a very particular kind of return. Now, in this situation, the return is, you know, for us as pastors, spiritual growth, development. I mean, the guy is really influencing a lot of the MB 
conference, right? They are only focusing in on pastors. There is an expectation, right? So there's this sowing and reaping. He's leveraging funds, and he is expecting to reap a particular kind of harvest. So sowing and reaping might be spiritual. Maybe it, maybe it's financial, right? People who are very good at business, and they're able to take a certain amount of finances and see a particular kind of financial increase or reward so that, you know, so that, that can be leveraged for other stuff. Even when I take people to go visit Jason and Nicole Clearing, right, one, one of the many reasons why you always go visit the missionaries that we represent is that because as people go, they see and they experience, they understand more, they come back, they're more excited, they can speak with more understanding. And then those people will often not only donate more themselves, but then they will also stir up financial support amongst others. So you drop a couple hundred dollars to fly someone out there, you may see several thousand dollars in additional support that wasn't provided before, right? There's a sowing and, and a reaping. Um, giving doesn't have this kind of expectation. Giving is just this one-way transfer. Uh, just to bless others, but with sowing and reaping, there's this expectation that, that there will be some kind of, of results. Sowing is work, all right? Giving is fun. Sowing is, is work. Um, you have to pay careful attention to details. You are expecting results. And your reaping will probably also be linked not only to your willingness to work, but it will also be linked to your faith, to your willingness to pray, your willingness to engage in spiritual warfare. So before you just think, oh, I want to do the sowing and reaping one, know that that one's some work. Matthew 25, 14 is the parable of the talents. Great example of all this, right? The story is a guy is going on a trip. He entrusts his three servants with a certain amount of cash. Two of them use it and double it. The other guy just buries it in the dirt. And uh, he gets scolded, and the others are entrusted with even more, right? So there's, once again, sowing and reaping. Last one, uh, increasing, increasing the fruits of your righteousness is something that, that gets named. Um, once again, I think this can go a couple different ways. Uh, in Scripture, we see about the fruit of the Spirit. So to, to leverage finances or, or resources for us to grow in our own spiritual maturity, a book, a conference, training of some kind. You're, you're investing in your own relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're helping another person invest in theirs. Um, maybe it's helping other people get out of bondage whether that be debt or an addiction to uh, drugs, alcohol, that kind of thing. Some churches have remarkable programs to help people get out of debt, and, you know, and then those people help others. But, um, yeah, so just thoughts on that. Tithing. 10% already belongs to the Lord, set aside. Bread for eating, for your personal consumption. Uh, generosity, just giving it away. One directional, no expectation of return. Um, sowing and reaping, a little bit more work, but there is an expectation of return. And then increasing the fruits of righteousness, growing in your own faith, helping others grow in their faith, that kind of thing. Picture this. On the side of the mountain, you have three men. Each of them live by a stream. Now at the top of the mountain, there's a glacier that feeds those three streams. The first gentleman who lives next to the stream, his life experience has taught him that, you know, water is just always short. You're just, you're a day away from running out of water, from there not being enough water. So how does he approach the stream? He dams it up so that he can store up water 
in case of a, I guess not in case of a rainy day, that just fell apart, in case of a dry day. So there, there's always resources. Second guy lives by another stream. Life experience has taught him that, you know, you take what you need from the stream, but it, it keeps coming and you should be okay, and he just kind of lets the rest go past him so that other people down at the end of the, the stream need water as well too, and so they can, you know, enjoy it as well too. So that's the second guy. Third guy, life experience has taught him that you will never exhaust the stream. That no matter how much you pull out of that stream, there is always water coming the next day. And so he actually proceeds to build canals to the people who are not close to the stream. To the people who, who are further away, who don't have as much access to water. He very proactively says, we need to dig some canals so that people who are far away from the stream can get water from the stream because he has learned that you will never exhaust the stream. Now let's pretend that you're the guy at the top and that you can control the flow on these three streams. I mean, how much do you direct to the guy who built up a dam? Right? Probably enough to fill up his dam, uh, but then he's good. He can just sit with his stagnant water. He's fine. The other guy, you know, the second one, he, you know, all right, he lets some, some go past. That's fine. But the guy who's building canals, let's redirect as much as we can because he understands that that glacier is never going to dry out, right? That there is always, you know, you cannot exhaust the stream. Don't be the guy who builds the dam or the man or the woman who builds the dam. Be the family, be the couple that builds the canals. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, addressing finances and uh, personal and consumption and just how to deal with this. And God, we, we surrender our finances to you. And Lord, that is really hard. That is really big. Might need a little bit of work for us to get there. But God, we want to look to you as our source. We don't want to look to money as our source. We want to look to you as our source. And that which you have entrusted to our care, we want to use as you would see fit. Lord, we've covered some good practices. I'm sure there are more, lots of other probably good biblical ways to do that. Lord, this is our starting point. God, I pray that for all of us here, that when we enter heaven, we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That when we entered heaven, that, that we will, will enter with fanfare, having been found faithful in all that you entrusted to our care. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us as we respond.
Just be with 